Well, hello everyone. I'd like to welcome you to this week's All Church Sunday School lesson in the Explore the Bible series. I hope you had a very blessed Easter week as, as we did in, in our family. And uh, despite the current situation, it seems like uh, the Lord is uh, very much at work in our lives. And I hope you had a very, very blessed uh, Easter time. So we're going to be uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8 today and uh, look forward to that. It's a absolutely magnificent uh, portion of scripture, uh, but uh, we're not going to start there. I'll get into that in just a moment, but uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 will be the focus. So my name is Russ Adams. Uh, I'm a teacher in uh, Sunday School Department A33, and uh, our family has uh, been members at First Baptist Keller since 1996, so we have been here a while. Uh, my wife, Janet, is a teacher in the uh, nursery department, and uh, uh, we raised our family here. Uh, we have uh, two children. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, down in Austin with his family and, and uh, four of our grandchildren, and uh, our uh, daughter and uh, son-in-law and, and her two children are, are actually in Keller, and they attend, uh, attend church with, with us here at first. So, uh, uh, you know, we've had a long history with, with the First Baptist Keller. I also serve as a deacon, and uh, you may have noticed also that uh, I play trumpet in the orchestra, so I just have a lot of opportunities to serve here, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, so uh, before we begin the lesson, uh, let's just have a brief word of prayer and ask God to uh, bless our time together. Father God, we uh, are so grateful to have this opportunity to study your word uh, despite the circumstances and for the uh, provision you have made for that. Uh, your word is powerful, and today we're going to be looking at a portion of it that seems uh, just to shine. And uh, uh, we know who the teacher is today. Uh, thank you for the Holy Spirit and the way that he opens our hearts to your truth and teaches us. I just uh, pray very much that uh, you would use this time uh, to uh, convey a truth to us that will make us more like your son, Jesus, because that's what you tell us you're about. Uh, thank you so much for your love for us. Uh, bless this uh, time together, and we ask it in Christ's name. Well, okay. Uh, one of Pastor Keith's favorite things to say is he loves to hear the sound of uh, pages and Bibles rustling as, as he uh, preaches. So obviously I won't get to hear that today, but uh, uh, one of my favorite sounds is listening to pastors say, uh, let's all open our Bibles. So let's all open our Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. Uh, as I've said, today's study focus is going to be on Romans chapter 8, uh, but I'm going to ask us to go all the way back to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to take my cue from uh, the previous two teachers who have done a wonderful job of walking us through what Paul has uh, been doing in this uh, letter to the church at Rome. And uh, uh, it's a necessary thing to do. Uh, he is making a case, building an argument, and what you'll find is as we get to chapter 8, uh, which frankly is probably familiar to most of us, it's a, it's a very... Uh, uh, a well-known passage of Scripture, but in its context, it's even more powerful. So we're going to spend just a moment to do that. Uh, starting in Romans chapter 1, Paul uh, begins by making a case that we are all in need of salvation. Uh, we are all sinners, and he builds the case for that immediately. 
so that, that's really uh, what you find in chapters 1 and 2. He, he takes care to make sure we understand that this applies uh, to Jew and Gentile alike. He uh, takes care to make sure that it applies to uh, you know, the most flagrant open sinners and also to the very highly moral people who, uh, by virtue of their own effort, are, are trying to uh, you know, be the best people they can be. Uh, it doesn't really matter in every case. Uh, we, we find that uh, our holiness doesn't measure up to the standard of holiness we need to be acceptable in God's presence on our own. So, uh, you know, Paul takes a, a great deal of time presenting that. Uh, then in chapter 3, we find that uh, Paul is beginning to reveal uh, God's plan of salvation and what, what it involves. And basically what it involves is uh, that uh, his salvation is available to us as a gift. It's nothing we earn. It's nothing we do. Uh, he makes his righteousness available to us. If you look at chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 22 and through 24, and it's spelled out pretty clearly there. He speaks of the righteousness of God being made available to us uh, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this has been well taught before, and I'm not going to go over it too much. I just thought that there are some, some phrases in there we want to be mindful of. Uh, one of them is, in Christ Jesus. Uh, being in Christ Jesus, or in the flesh, we'll look at today, uh, these are defining terms. It, it tells us uh, who we are and, wh and where we are. Uh, Paul mentioned being justified. That's a, a part of the salvation uh, process. We'll look at that a little bit. And the fact that it is through faith in Jesus Christ, again, because all have sinned. It's by faith alone. It's not earned. Uh, down in verse 28, a few verses uh, uh, forward, he makes that case very plain again. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So there we go. In uh, chapter 4, uh, Paul just continues on and makes the case a little bit firmer. He uh, uses the example of Abraham uh, to prove that salvation by faith alone has always been God's plan. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Abraham uh, is said that he, he, you know, he was uh, uh, counted righteous because of his faith, and this was before the Mosaic Law was even given. So uh, that was a, a, a way that Paul had of making sure we understood that salvation is always by faith alone. Now in chapter 5, Paul begins to explain salvation in detail. And we mentioned being justified just a moment ago. Justified, of course, means it's a judicial action that God takes the moment we place our faith in Christ. Uh, it's, it's being declared righteous, being declared not guilty of our sins by virtue of the fact that those sins were paid for, for us, by Christ on the cross. You know, so uh, he... Uh, uh, explains very very clearly what that is in, in chapter 5. Uh, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, in chapter 5, Paul goes into a lot of detail about the, the uh, standing we have 
in Christ uh, being justified. It's a, just a judicial action, and this is, this is actions that God has taken. Uh, so far, nothing has been said to us about, uh, uh, about what we should do or how, how we should respond uh, to this. It's just a, it's just a fact that uh, being justified, certain things are true. Uh, in verse 2, we stand in God's grace, and we have hope uh, with joy in being with God forever. Of course, this isn't the kind of hope that's a wish. This is a, a hope that is a, a, a confident expectation of what is certain to come. You know, we're, we're, we're ready for that. So uh, that's, that's where we, we stand being justified. Now, in verses 3 through 5 in chapter 5, Paul begins to hint at where we're going today. Uh, it's part of the context for today's lesson. In verses 3 through 5, he says, And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, Paul's just mentioned there that the Holy Spirit was given to us at the moment of our salvation. And that's an important thing he's going to follow up on in today's lesson. Uh, it also hints at the fact that uh, even though we are saved, we live in a world that is spoiled and corrupted by sin. And even though we are saved, we live in mortal bodies that are also spoiled and corrupted by sin. Uh, that's going to introduce some tensions and some challenges and that's where we're going to be uh, uh, really uh, looking at to what God has done about that in chapter 8. We can really look forward to that. So this is the, this is the Christian life. You know, Pastor often mentions that we live in a, a state of being between the already and the not yet, as it has to do with, with salvation. Uh, the already is justification. That's already happened. That's fact and it's permanent. Uh, the not yet is glorification, when we will be with the, the Lord in heaven, uh, free from the presence of sin and free to enjoy him forever. In between that, we're in a state called sanctification, where God is at work in our lives and he's building us more and more like his son all the time. It's something he promised he would do and he will complete it. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, that doesn't mean that it's, it's easy. In fact, it's uh, quite the opposite. Uh, Paul's going to explain that pretty clearly. In uh, uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 21, Paul makes a contrast of Adam and Christ. Uh, it's, it's an interesting passage to read. He, he uh, makes the case that uh, in Adam certain things are true. We're descendants of Adam. Uh, in Adam, all sin. In Adam, all are under condemnation. Uh, in, in Adam, all die. Uh, but then in Christ, in contrast, he's the, uh, you know, the, the, the better Adam, if you will. Uh, all who believe by faith in him have God's righteousness as a gift. Uh, all are justified and all have life. So it's, it's a big contrast, and again, it carries that picture that we're going to have today of being in something. You know? So uh, you know, Paul is very consistent in the way he presents, presents his truth. Now, in chapter 6, Paul begins to explore that sanctification process. Uh, 
Let's look at, the, again, uh, chapter 6, verse 2. Uh, he begins by answering that hypothetical situation of if our sins are forgiven, uh, why, do the, why does it even matter? Uh, should we even care if we sin or not? And uh, the answer that Paul gave to that was a very, very stout one. You know, may it never be. And he asked this question, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Well, that begs the question of how that can be. How did we actually die to sin? Well, let's go forward to verses uh, 6 through 8 in chapter 6, and we find that this gets explained. Now, this is difficult, but it's also very essential. It says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Go on to verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. This descriptor of believers being in Christ is very, very powerful. Look at Galatians 2. There's a few pages up in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. In, in uh, 2.20, he makes one of the best statements of this. This is uh, Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in his mortal body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So here's this concept of our old selves actually dying on the cross in Christ and our new selves being in Christ in his resurrection, uh, in, in his resurrection life. Uh, it's, it's a really essential concept here. Uh, in Christ, our slavery to sin is over. Uh, he may, Paul makes the point that uh, when we died in Christ, that uh, sin, who had been our master, when, when sin ordered, we had to obey. Uh, that's no longer the case anymore. That slavery is broken, and we're alive to God. Now, in the remainder of chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7, uh, Paul makes the case, and he makes it very well, that uh, uh, since we are no longer slaves to sin— there's really no reason for us to act that way. And that's the encouragement he gives. And again, in this sanctification uh, process, uh, this, this is where we live. This is where we walk around. Uh, the uh, encouragement that there's no reason for us to act that way is stated by making choices. Uh, he says, uh, you know, don't any longer uh, obey sin's commands. You don't have to. He says, don't present yourselves to sin uh, to obey its direction. You don't have to do that. Uh, well, it, as we often say, some things are, are uh, easy to say and hard to do. And uh, Paul is very, very honest with us in the rest of chapter 7. Uh, this really sets us up for the glorious truths in Romans chapter 8. You know, an another thing to point out here is, and it, I think uh, Andrew Ledbetter pointed that out as well, that... Uh, uh, the chapter and verse markings in our Bibles are very useful to us. They help us navigate God's Word very efficiently, uh, but they're not inspired. 
they were actually added uh, several centuries after the canon of Scripture was settled. And uh, sometimes the chapter breaks, in particular, are very poorly placed. Uh, in today's lesson, we're going to find one of those. Uh, the, you know, we, we tend to see that little half inch of white space in our Bible and think, okay, new topic. Uh, in fact, sometimes it occurs almost in the middle of a sentence and, and certainly sometimes in the middle of a, of a continuous thought. Uh, so uh, we, we'll see that today as we progress here. So the last part of chapter 7 is Paul's very painfully honest description of what it's like to be justified, uh, a redeemed believer, freed from sin's authority, but walking in a broken world, in a body that is spoiled and corrupted by sin, in which that sin nature still attempts to exert uh, control over us. Uh, sometimes we do better than others in, in dealing with that, and that is the struggle that uh, Paul describes for himself. Now, this is a really significant thing. You know, we would think of uh, you know, Paul as, uh, the, as the super saint, obviously, but, uh, uh, but he struggles, as uh, we all do, with this, this tension uh, between the new man in us and the uh, the old man, the, the, uh, the sin nature in our mortal body, still struggling for control. So let's take a look at that. Uh, it's, it's a really powerful passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just start in uh, chapter 7, verse 19, and read through 24. But you get the, the sense of Paul's description of this struggle that we're in, right? So this is uh, Romans 7, 19 through 24. For the good that I wish... I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? That uh, cry in verse 24 uh, is very, very specific. You know, Paul has made clear that the new man in him knows uh, what is right, wants to do it, uh, but the mortal body that he is in is, is struggling to keep him from doing it. Who will set me free from the body of this death? It's, it's a very, very specific question. Now, here's where that bad chapter break comes in. He goes on to give us the answer to that question. And it doesn't stop in verse 25. It keeps going into chapter 8. So here we're going to enter chapter 8 and as Paul answers his own question here. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. He'll embellish on it in a moment. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. 
continue the thought. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That's the answer he gives to that that, that uh, cry of frustration of of, of uh, trying to live the Christian life in a in a in a body that still has a sin nature in it. We can give thanks to God through Jesus Christ that that victory is ours. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is in us has set us free from the law of sin and death. So. He's already made that point, but the context seems a little bit different now. And he sets it off by establishing one point right away, and this is that beautiful verse 1 in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing promise. It means that our failures in the struggle will never result in us being condemned. Our failures were condemned on the cross already, and that's over. You know, in John 19, verse 30, it's, it's, it's really interesting that this uh, lesson series has come up uh, right in the middle of the uh, Easter season because you know, we, we've had this opportunity to really focus on the the uh, death of Christ on the cross on our behalf and the fact that he was buried and the fact that even as he said he would, uh, on the third day he got up and left that tomb alive. Uh, and what, what does that mean to us? Well, all the way through, Paul has been making this case about who we are in Christ Jesus. We died in him on the cross, our old sinful selves, and the life that we have right now is his resurrection life being lived through us. That's amazing. So in uh, uh, John uh, chapter 19, verse 30, in the account of the crucifixion, uh, he records a specific detail, and that is uh, that, that uh, loud cry that he uttered at the end of his agony. Uh, several of the Gospels record that. Uh, but John records what he said, and that is, it is finished. I think the Greek is tetelestai, and that literally means paid in full. It used to be written on, uh, on uh, receipts, I think, back then. So that was his cry, paid in full. So our failures have already been paid for on the cross, and they'll never come up again. Uh, we never need to fear that in the midst of this struggle, we're going to lapse back into being under God's condemnation. That is just not going to happen. Our salvation is secure now, chapter 8 is one of the most glorious passages you'll ever want to read. It begins with that promise right there. We're secure in our salvation. It can never be taken away from us. We can't lose it. It's permanent. So that gives us rest right to begin with. Uh, let's find out what else is in chapter 8. Now, he goes on to admit again that we are in the midst of this struggle, but he tells us what this struggle is really, you know, what frames this struggle. Uh, in verse 4, chapter 8, he goes on to say, In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we walk. This is our manner of living, right? If we belong to Christ, our walk is 
not according to the flesh, not according to its demands, but according to the Spirit. Now here's the Holy Spirit being brought in again. Uh, up to this point, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned only a couple times, uh, really in its context only one time that I can find where it's really specific, and that was in chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, but chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit and about his work in our lives. So uh, enjoy the promises that we're about to discover there. It's just an amazing thing. So the Holy Spirit is prominent in this chapter, and uh, one of the commentaries I, I read said uh, 17 references in 39 verses. I read another one that said 20. I think it depends on how you're, how you're reading some of the references, uh, but that's a lot. So let's find out what this is about. Paul's going to outline this uh, in verses 5 through 8. He's going to contrast living in the flesh, which means just you know, in complete surrender to, the, to that sinful nature, or living in the spirit. You know, the Spirit is, is, uh, is uh, helping us in that uh, sanctification process. So let's look at that in verses 5 through 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So that's a pretty strong contrast. That is a description of someone who is living apart uh, from Christ. That is those who are still in their old nature. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very strong description of what it is like to be unsaved. Uh, hostile to God, unable to obey his law, don't even want to obey his law. Very, very strong thing. And the end of it is death. So the contrast, of course, is being in the Spirit, and the end of that is life. Verse 9 makes it clear that we have a choice here. And we'll come back to that at the end of the lesson. And again, this is written to Christians, and he's going to make that clear in the opening to this verse. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That's a complex verse, and it's got two things in it that I want to look at. Uh, the first one almost hides but it's, it's one of the most glorious promises we have, and that is, if we belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That is right in the middle of the verse. The other part is, is again, Paul is making clear that this is a binary situation. It's an either-or. Either we belong to Christ, or we don't. If we belong to Him, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. If we don't, we don't. And it's very, very clear that, this, you know, that, that there's no uh, shades of gray in between. It's an either-or situation. So he's making a very strong case there. So that being established, uh, Paul goes on to describe uh, you know, some details of uh, the answer to his cry back in, in chapter 7. The Holy Spirit is going to give us victory in our daily walk in these mortal bodies 
if, if we pay attention to his guidance. Let's take a look at that in verses 10 through 13, chapter 8. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So then, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's a description of our walk. Notice that it's a, um, it is a process. It uh, requires some effort. Uh, that, that last part of that verse, he says, if we are putting to death the deeds of the body. So the body is still trying to exert its control over us, uh, but we're told that the Holy Spirit helps us, uh, help us, helps us recognize that that's happening and shows us how we can put to death, that's an active verb, ongoing action, that we put to death the deeds of the body, and that's how we live. Uh, I like to think of that also as, as uh, being not just a promise of, of the eternal life that's ahead of us, uh, but it's also the abundant life that Christ offers us now in Him. If we're putting to death the deeds of the body, we're going to be enjoying that abundant life right now. Now, you've often heard the ads in the late-night TV that say, but wait, there's more. Well, there's a lot more. And uh, Paul goes on to, to tell us in verses 14 through 17 another glorious truth that's true. Uh, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Wow. We're adopted children of God. We haven't been transferred from one state of slavery to another. We've been adopted. Uh, the Abba Father is, is such an interesting phrase. It's a, uh, Abba is an Aramaic word. Uh, it's a term of endearment that you use of your own father. I've heard it uh, uh, spoken of as, as almost like a childish dada. I'm not sure that captures it. Uh, there is a, a way we speak of our fathers uh, that uh, we probably you know call them daddy. Uh, my own dad uh, passed away just a few years ago, uh, but uh, un until he passed, and even now, we, we still think of him as, as dad or daddy. Uh, there is trust in that. There's love. There's respect. All those, and there's intimacy. All those things are captured in that term of endearment. And that's what the Spirit is telling us we can address the holy God of the universe as. That's an amazing promise. That is just, it's, it's so sweet and such, such an amazing thing that has happened. Now, at the very end of that passage, uh, Paul slipped in a little something about 
uh, suffering. Uh, again, that's a reminder that we do live in a fallen world, and that means that we're going to experience hardships and sufferings of, of all kinds. Uh, some of them happen to us because we belong to Christ. Uh, some of them just happen because we're living in a fallen world that's spoiled by sin. Uh, regardless, we're going through that, but we're going through it in Christ, and we're going through it with the Holy Spirit as our guide so let's look at verse 18 and uh, see what that says about, uh, about these sufferings. This is an amazing promise uh, you know, for the future. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So in the light of eternal glory, what we're going through right now, whatever it is, uh, it's just not worthy to even be compared with it. So that gives us some hope for the future. But what about the now? What about the daily walk that we go through? Uh, how is the Holy Spirit going to help us get through that? Well, one of the answers, of course, is we can pray. That's one of those Sunday school answers that you hear about. You know, whenever a question is asked, you can, you can answer uh, Jesus, you can answer uh, love, you can answer prayer. If you use one of those three terms, you've probably given a good answer, right? So, uh, but uh, we can pray. Uh, our open access to the throne of the Almighty God uh, is an amazing thing that we have available to us. It, it was uh, purchased at the price of Christ's blood. Uh, at the moment he, he died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in half from top to bottom, opening the way to the Holy of Holies to demonstrate that that was, that was now the case. But in truth, I think all of us have experienced this, that uh, there are times when we pray that we really don't know what to ask for. We don't know what's best. Uh, all we know is that we're hurting or someone we love is hurting or there's a situation that needs to be addressed, but we don't know what the answer is, and we don't even know how to voice that prayer. Well, look at verses 26 and 27 in chapter 8. This talks about how the Spirit comes to our aid there. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is an amazing promise that the Holy Spirit interprets our prayers for us. He knows our hearts, and he also knows the heart and will of the Father. And somehow he is able to put those two things together in groanings too deep for words, that's such a powerful phrase, uh, that means our prayers are translated to the Father in a perfectly acceptable way. He's going to work His will. Uh, our prayers are made satisfactory, and uh, uh, His intercession for us is just an amazing gift. So that's, a, that's, that's crazy, crazy good. Uh, now, that has brought us up to... Verse 28 in chapter 8. This is one of the most quoted verses and probably misquoted verses uh, in, in the New Testament. 
in its context, you can see where Paul has brought us. Uh, we're walking this walk. The Holy Spirit is available to us and helping us, interceding for us. And we also have the promise here of what's going on. Look at verse, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you could probably do an entire lesson on that one verse. I'm going to try to summarize it with a simple statement. And this is it. Whatever is going on in our lives, we can be confident that God loves us and that God knows what he is doing. That should give us a tremendous sense of peace, no matter what is going on. Now he goes on in verses 29 and 30 uh, to expound on that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, weighty theological terminology in there. Uh, but the sense of it is this. It's all according to his eternal plan. He talks about how we were in God's mind from before the foundation of the world and walks us all the way through that position in Christ from before time through our justification, through this sanctification, and all the way to glorification, all in that little passage there. It's all according to his eternal plan. Well, Paul concludes chapter 8 with two reassurances that are just too beautiful to mess with. Uh, I was uh, so gratified on, on Easter to be listening to Pastor's sermon and find out that this is how he concluded the sermon, was with this very passage. It is that powerful. Uh, it is so reassuring. Look at, look at what uh, Paul has done in chapter 8. He started with that assurance to us that there is no condemnation coming to us. That's over will never be condemned. Uh, he talks about, in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is given to us and is helping guide us through this process of sanctification and reassures us that everything is going on is well within uh, the, the scope of, of, of God's knowledge and will, and, and he's working his will. He's bringing everything together for good. And then he concludes with this incredible passage that assures us that we'll never be separated from him, will never be separated from his love. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read those. Uh, listen for some things. Listen for our eternal security. Remember, no condemnation. And also be listening for the things that might separate us from, from God's love. And we're going to find that there are none. So, Listen as I read. This is uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear ones, that's security. That was the title of the lesson today. That's victory. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Father God, we just stand in awe of your love and your grace and your power. Thank you for loving us from the beginning. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being with us through the person of the Holy Spirit in this sanctification time for all those promises. Thank you for the fact that we can address you as Father, as Daddy. Thank you for that intimacy. Thank you for these promises in these last verses of there being absolutely no possibility that anything will drive a wedge between us. We're yours and you hold us securely. Thank you for that security. Father, as we go through our lives day to day, um, they are filled with troubles. And they are filled with things that distract us and all that. But uh, uh, we can know that we belong to you very securely and that you love us with a love we'll never be able to find the end of. And we thank you for that and we praise you for it. And it's in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.